Welcome to the Multitask. I'm John Moore. And it's your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? So it's a knockdown drag him out match in the GOP. Uh, they're going to try to uh, vote. Uh, is it Liz Cheney? Yeah, Liz Cheney out and uh, out of her leadership caucus leader uh, and the caucus chair, actually. Or I think it's going to call it conference chair. The Democrats, the Democrats call it caucus, Republicans call it conference. As a conference chair, uh, replace it with Liz uh, Stefanik. And boy, it's quite the battle. What's your take? Yeah, it's interesting. Liz, and even to a greater uh, respect, like people like Adam Kinzinger, are they took the bet of that the Republican Party was going to move on from Trump. It's clear that that wasn't going to be the right call. They bet on the wrong horse in that in that sense. Look, when Liz is looked at like a liberal amongst the right, then we're in a really bad place because Liz is obviously... Um, it's not like she votes for anything on the left, right? She just said what she said about Trump, which was the truth, and that the January 6th was an insurrection. Everybody said it, right? McConnell, McCarthy, Cruz, they all said it on that day. If you remember Lindsey Graham saying, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, this isn't for me anymore. And then what ended up happening was they kept realizing that the only way to to tap into the GOP was going to be Trump and his Trump space, because that's the Trump party now. Remember, I said this before, even Trump uh, or, or Biden was inaugurated. This is Trump's party. This is not like a, which side is the coin going to flip. This is Trump's party. This is going to go this way. So it's going to be interesting to see what Liz and, and, and people who are not kissing the ring, if you will, um, going to do. But um, yeah, look, the Republican Party is going to run with this. They don't. But at some point, January 6th is going to be a peaceful hippie protest. And they're going to get to that point where they're going to paint it that way. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Well, you know, the thing that I think is, is fascinating is the fact that you have a party that is messed up. And you have people who, like Liz Cheney, and just so you know, under normal circumstances, Liz Cheney is a whack jab herself. If you look at if you if you look at if you look at all of this stuff going on in the party and some of the stuff, you know, even even when she wrote the op ed, she decided to take a swing at woke culture, right? Um, and the I think the problem is is that when the moral compass of the Republican Party does not exist, even with Liz Cheney. Um, but if she's considered to be the moral compass, then you get the whack jobs like the, you know, the, the, the Matt Gates who we'll talk about in a few minutes and the uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Because the party in and of itself is so whacked up. And the one thing that I'm really angry about is everybody in the press is trying to act like Liz is some moderate and she's sympathetic. She's not a sympathetic character. Look at her record. The reality is you have bad and worse. There's no such good things. There's no such good thing as good operators, good faith operators in the Republican Party right now. Matt, Adam Kinzinger is just as bad. They're not as bad as 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 Gates and, and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Boebert. But the, the median of decency in the Republican Party is just non-existent. Yeah, I totally agree with you. We can't pat them on the back for telling the truth. That's all Liz Cheney's doing is just telling the truth uh, of that particular thing. And we're acting like she's just like a hero. It's just not true, right? We're just, the Republicans are looking at her because she's enemy number one. I also think that, believe it or not, John, I also think some of this is those attacks on Biden that are not working and... The GOP always wants a culture war. They always want to dominate the headlines by making up stuff. And none of the stuff with Biden sticking as much. And you see them talking about Hillary and Barack all the time. There was a question that Jen Psaki had this week that was like, is this just Obama part three? Like they're looking for something to, to grapple with. And maybe just the Liz Cheney is just is bait for the for the for the bottom feeders, if you will. They just need something to throw there until they can get the party going and, and get, get voters for 2022. Look, there's a lot of people on the right who think that 2022 is going to be a red wave. 
they think they're going to take over the House. They think McCarthy's going to be a uh, number one powerful Republican. They also want Trump to, I don't know if you saw this, but they want Trump to run for Congress and become the Speaker of the House in 2022. No, well, actually, you don't they have want... to run for Congress to be Speaker. You and I can be Speaker. Anyone can be Speaker. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, I read that. Someone had correct. It was Steve Bannon who said that, I think. Um, so they're in a place where you're right. We can't pat Liz Cheney or Kinzinger on the back for telling the truth. But this is the fight that we're up against is this is a, part, a political party who's going to lie, cheat and steal all the way until they can get what they want. How do we combat that? Is there a way to combat that? I don't I don't have the answer for it. Um, we saw remember I brought up to you this week. I wonder if we could start suing like can Pfizer sue Tucker Carlson? Can these we saw Dominion sue and actually end up uh, being on the on the positive end of that. So I just wonder if we could fight this disinformation. I'm not sure it's plausible on social media. Well, it's the one thing that's really tough is that, and when I say there's no moral compass, here's the funny thing. You have a significant portion of the Republican Party who are backing Trump, who claim to be the real conservatives. Now, I again, I'm not going to defend Liz Cheney, but if you look at who they're replacing her with, this Elise Stefanik, um, Liz Cheney's voting record is 10 times the, the, the conservative voting record. It's just that Stefanik's willing to play that Trump game. And, and, and I don't, I get, and, and Trump is uh, supposed to be a hero conservative. Trump is no conservative, right? Uh, he's just the biggest racist. He's the biggest asshole. He's the biggest person who adheres to their values. But I also think the problem is, is that one of the things that the Republican Party is learning is that even if you don't consider yourself and don't think racism and all this other stuff should be a motivating factor for conservative conservatism, I think that the general public that it appeals to tends to be more bigoted, tends to be more misogynistic, tends to be more homophobic, tends to be more racist. So realistically, I think the conservatives who don't consider themselves racist, they're at a dilemma because their brand of politics, their, their ideology does not resonate with people who are not, who don't embrace some of the racism and bigotry and just anti-intellectualism of, of the right. And, um, you know, it's it's funny because, like I say, Stefanik is someone who probably uh, is probably would be the type of Republican we might like if she wasn't such a big Trump fan. But she knows that's what you need to do. But then you have to ask yourself, if you're willing to empower that crap, maybe you are not the type of person I like. You are an idiot. You are, oh, I don't know, it's just, it's frustrating. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't even look at them as idiot or moronic or anything like that. I, I've always said this, even about Tucker, Sean Hannity, or those guys. These guys just know what they have to do to get to where they need to go. With with Stefanik, it was from what I understand, she was what the party was looking for. She was the the good version of Sarah Palin, if you will. She was this young conservative woman, but she was like moderate, and then. What ended up happening was you saw where the base went and then you saw how the Trump voters went and either you had to go that route or you were going to lose elections. And that's what ended up happening. They all went there because they saw where the base was going. Liz Cheney, we'll see what happens if she gets ousted or if she doesn't get voted back in. I, I think she just got voted back in. So her term's that up. But um, they're all going to go that route. So can I pose a question to you? I wonder if... Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Um, so I wonder if part of the problem is, can we start, instead of trying to fight the Republicans as a whole, can we start making the Republicans fight each other? What I mean by that is, uh, the person they're trying to replace Liz Cheney with believes that Georgia, Fulton County specifically had 140,000 people vote illegally. There's only like 500,000 people who voted or something like that. So it was just a ridiculous number. And then we saw the election commission, the people in charge of the election come out and say it's absolutely ridiculous, it's absolutely a lie. Those were all Republicans. So I wonder if you're going to, if Trump's saying this was stolen and it was stolen in Arizona and, and Georgia and places that are red and Republicans control them, I wonder if you go to them and you say, these Republicans are coming after you, what are you going to do about it? And what we're seeing in Arizona is they're running with it, but Georgia pushed back and Michigan pushed back and all these different states pushed back. So do you, do you, do you get what I'm trying to go for? Is it possible to 
to turn them against each other somehow, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the reality is, is Republicans, they're, they're not principled. They're not principled. They do not know what they're doing. In many ways, they, they fight these battles. And, you know, let's go back to what we used to talk about early on. Remember how I would say that in many ways that Democrats could never do what Republicans do because Democratic voters are smart, too smart for that? Republicans need a, a low-information voter. They need folks who don't quite understand the way things are work or they're supposed to work. They're, you know, they they are they are just, you know, this this kind of like infighting that we're seeing. At the end of the day, I don't think it, I don't think it does as much harm. Well, you know what? Let me change that. It might do a little bit of harm from the stamp from one very important standpoint. Um, the reason why that low information voter. Um, that that fight should should it might impact them is not so much with the low information voters, but with the moderates, right? Maybe the maybe the, and it's kind of what happened during the Trump years, right? Um, what's really funny is in the southern suburbs, and I'm sure in other places, we've had two or three new mayors elected, and I have the ability through software to look at their voting records, and you don't know how many people who recently won elected office in Illinois voted and pulled Republican ballots all the way up until 2016. And in the last two primaries since Trump's been president, they've pulled Democratic ballots, right? Um, so I do think maybe some of that stuff going on in Georgia, it's not going to upset the Republican base, but it's going to shrink the Republican base. And it's also going to run the moderates out of the Republican base. Um, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about 22. I think 22 is going to be a good year for Democrats. I actually... I, I can't take it for granted. It's going to be an uphill battle, but I think there's a lot of argument that 22 will be a good year for Democrats. Yeah, you get you could definitely argue that with how successful the Biden administration has been so far. Um, I guess I wonder how to suss this out, or or are we just becoming to the point where? And we'll talk about it a little in a second with Arizona and everything, but this isn't a democratic party anymore, John, like these are just full on fascists. And, and, and I, I could say that, I don't know if you could commit to that, but they're full on autocratic. They don't believe in democracy anymore. They just believe in power and they're willing to do whatever they can to get there. And I feel like we're, we're trying our best, but we might be outmanned and outgunned in the sense of we still are looking at them like we could work with them, right? Biden, I think, has been very sharky in the way that he's saying he's going to work with them, but trying to do everything he can to pass what he's passing. So we'll see how that goes. It's only been a couple months now, but um, I'm just worried that we're fighting a fight that we don't know the opponent just quite yet. Maybe 22 will help us kind of see. We don't know how these people are going to vote post-Trump yet, um, but we're in a situation where we don't know the enemy yet, if that makes sense. Not that people are enemies, but metaphorically speaking, we don't know what our opponent's going to do in a fight yet because they're so unpredictable. It, well, the Republicans, they will not disappoint. And speaking of not disappointing, on Friday, on Friday, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, the trafficker um, went to what a place called the Villages, and they had a rally. And I do think going back to the Liz Cheney pieces, you have a party. Again, I am not I do not want to be in the business of defending Liz Cheney, but you have a party that is defending Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who are both just absolutely horrible people, and they're throwing Liz Cheney over the under the bus. What are your thoughts? What do you, what do you think? They have to. That's what I'm trying to tell you, John, is they have to. This is the only way they're going to survive is they have to go continue to dig the hole that they're in right now because that's what the voters want, right? We saw what the voters did to Lindsey Graham at the airport. And Lindsey Graham is like the biggest Trump loyalist, right? Anybody who appears against Trump or the base, they're going to go after. So that's what McCarthy's doing. He's placating to that. He needs votes. They need votes. And that's what they're doing. You know, it's it's a it's appalling. 
it is appalling that Gates has got some severe uh, potential charges coming his way that they have not act, moved to discipline him. Um, it, it's, the entire Republican Party needs to own this. Even the good Republicans need to own this because this is this is actually a byproduct of all their years of just being just disgusting human beings. You know, it's, it's, um, by the way, I think based upon what I, if I recall all the news reports, I think that, um, May is the month that if that, that I think gets is going to, Gates is going to go down because I think that they said something along the, the, when they walked through the timeline of the guy that's already uh, in custody and who's cutting a deal, they kind of indicated that, uh, but all of the stuff that they need to do to turn this guy into a cooperating witness will be done in May. So don't be surprised if this month, my birth month, my birthday month, end of the month, don't be surprised if it, if, if Gates goes down this month. Yeah, no, that I think that's coming any single day. I think that the, the tour he's on with, with MGT, that's just a distraction. Um, so he knows what's happening. He's probably just trying to raise some funds for his legal cases. <laughs> I don't know. Well, here's the funny uh, the thing that's interesting is, uh, again, the Republican Party. We keep talking about how Liz Cheney uh, is some type of ideal person. She's in the line. I want to hear Liz Cheney talk about what's going on, not only in Arizona, although while she's kind of condemned that bogus recount, how does she feel about the voting rights laws that passed in Georgia? How does she feel about the restrictive laws that passed in Florida and in Texas? Where is she? I mean, what the reality is, is this is who Republicans are. That's why I've always said racism did not stop with Trump. And I guarantee you, when everyone, in every one of those state legislatures, Georgia, Florida, Texas, they're probably Liz Cheney type of Republicans who voted for this, these racist and backwards um, voter right laws. That's why I have no love, and I'm not going to jump jump in on the Liz Cheney uh, love love wagon. Yeah, no, I totally I totally agree with you. As far as like Florida and Georgia and Texas and Arizona, some of it like, do you know like in baseball there's there's um, a, a batter will argue call balls and strikes and we know watching baseball the umpire never changes his mind but what they'll say is the batter will argue bars balls and strikes so the next time he comes up there the umpire has that in his mind and tends to be a little more lenient so i also feel like this is what's happening in arizona texas and georgia is they're saying there's so much voter fraud so much voter fraud so much voter fraud as as they know that's not going to land. They know they're not going to switch the election. They know nothing's going to be found. But they're using it to kind of backdoor all these laws in. And then maybe people are, are saying, all right, we'll, lev- we'll leave the fraud alone. Let's just sew up our security for elections, which is all just bullshit, right? It's the most – the Trump J- DOJ themselves said this was the most secure election in our history. So I wonder if this is what's going on. It's like the whole – Voter fraud thing is a front for them to kind of backdoor all these laws in. So we're going to see how this handles. I know Georgia's, there's already lawsuits on pending to try to stop some of these laws. We'll see. I know there's a governor race in, in Georgia coming up. There's a few of them coming up. So I wonder if we could we could stay national with these politics and focus on Georgia, focus on Arizona, and try to get some of these local legislators back to try to fight some of this stuff. That's the only way now. Yeah, well, and, you know, going to uh, Arizona to whack jobs, you heard, did you hear about the, um, their testing for bamboo? Did you hear that? Uh, that that discussion where there was some guy who said, well, ballots are going to be mailed in and we're testing for bamboo. But here's the thing that I found, found fascinating. And it's a, then it makes the bamboo uh, paranoia not seem as outrageous. Did you know that um, if you and I were overseas and we were going to vote by mail, the way it works is that they send these guys secure documents or something that they print out and they mail in. And so the, whatever, I'm not sure if bamboo's part of the paper that you can get in China or what have you, but there, but what I'm saying is that there might be some ballots that come in on questionable paper, depending on what paper you, people use, but the Republicans are just, are wilding out. And then if, I'm not sure if you saw what happened in Texas with the law that they passed and 
Rachel Maddow last week actually did a story on Friday about how um, that one, he's a really young looking member of the Republican legislature in Texas. And he was talking about pure, you know, the purity of the election, what have you. And evidently that was the language that was used uh, back in the late 1800s or early 1900s to keep black people from voting in Texas. And it was a, it was a Latino uh, legislature legislator who called them on it. Did you see that video uh, of, of, of the, the, the Texas legislator being called out for using racist language? And he was totally crestfallen when he when he was busted. No, I saw the three fifths one, but I'm not sure if that's the same thing. No, three. Dude, three that's how crazy. I forgot that's about crazy. that. That's a, OK. So th- <laughs> that was Tennessee. <laughs> We're losing yeah, track. Okay. The re- Republic, I mean, we need to do, and maybe that might be a segment. We should start some regular segments. We need to do the, the, to, to create a segment just called uh, Republican bleepery. It, I mean, there's just so much stuff that happens in any given week. And I find it very hard, and I'm losing, you know I lose patience with people who say Republicans aren't racist. They do each week. They do so much stuff that falls into the racist category, and they get away with it. They get away with it. Yes. No. This was this was actually intended. This was in Texas, and it was this guy. I want to say his name is Briscoe Kane, and he's one of these. He he wears a cowboy hat, but it's funny because he's short and he looks like a kid. And when you watch it, Rachel Maddow was throwing so much shade his way. It was hysterical. It was absolutely, she literally called him like, she was She was making fun of his size. And, you know, you really don't see Rachel like dragging someone this way, but she was dragging his appearance. I have never, ever seen Rachel Maddow do that, but she did that on Friday and I thought it was hysterical. Yeah, no, Rachel's good for stuff like that. I, part of it is like, I, I've, I've been learning that shaming is always bad, but some of it is just like, you want them in the news. You want them to seem ridiculous because what they're doing is so ridiculous and dangerous. Yeah, no, the three-fifths one was just outrageous. And look, the, the Republican Party believes in this. They believe that that they are superior in, in a lot of ways. And they really, we saw in Arizona, they said, we don't want low information voters, which tend not to be black and Latino people. They tend to be the rural white people who are low information. The voters. Republican so, base. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's always interesting their language because they're talking about their actual base. So that's what I mean. I wonder how do we fight? How do we actually fight this? We do we need federal laws? Do we need um, to win some of these governorships back? It's it's always going to be interesting. We got we we got to win the governorships. We got to have a Herculean effort. We've got to make sure that we do not get screwed in remaps, right? Um, yeah. The maps in Illinois, I think, will be drawn fair maps. You know, you're going to get, get maps, good maps in California, New York, New York uh, Illinois, most Democratic states. Um, you know, what's fascinating is even in the states that gain votes, uh, if you look at uh, Texas, which gained two um, congressional seats, realistically, uh, and we may have talked about this previously, the two seats they gained is probably due to a larger urban areas, but with gerrymandering, will those will those districts get drawn to the point to where they end up being um, gerrymandered to favor Republicans? Who who knows? But there's, I mean, there's, I think there's a legitimate freakout about the stakes of the twenty two election, especially when you consider who will be running the Republican Party. And, and how they could make Biden's last years in office um, painful. And I don't think we should underestimate those stakes. I think we should um, use them as scare tactics. We should utilize them to really motivate people. But I also think, though, that the Republicans are so out of pocket that that would also be potentially the grounds for the Democrats to really outperform the party in power as it, you know, as as people talk about the historic performance of the president's party during midterm elections, I still I still believe that there's a chance we can overturn it. And I think one of the things we have to do is just let people know what the absolute stakes are. Um, Biden's putting forth some really good programs, 
hopefully some programs will be in place and hopefully we can just hold up to people hell just even with even with the affordable care act alone just say to people if we don't act if we don't send uh nancy pelosi or whomever the democratic speaker is back you know to to, to be the speaker of the house um all these gains are going to be lost and i think that that might be we have to reverse that trend yeah you know it's interesting i i I'm very political, but a lot of my friends aren't. And I, I use them as to kind of feel the temperature of the room, if you will, of the country, uh, even though I live in a pretty blue, obviously liberal city like Chicago. But um, it's interesting. I said this last week, but Trump made it so political. You have to have an opinion on the last five years. You have to address this. You have to. He was always in the news. He made news every single day, every single hour that you had no choice but to pay attention to it. There was a lot of people who voted just so they don't have to have it in the news all the time. And now we're seeing that it's, even though this COVID still going on, and even though these things are still happening, we're seeing the political heats kind of die down right it's kind of boring it's back to being just everyday mundane inside baseball stuff in a good way right and i wonder my fear is about 2022 it becomes all right we did our job in 2020 most people voted ever we showed up into in the runoffs with georgia because you guys asked us to do that now it's your turn to kind of go, I'm going to take a mental break. And I know a lot of people who just checked out, not that they don't care and not that they don't pay attention, but they just don't want to pay attention every single day. And I just worry that leading up to 2022, people are going to take it off because they've been so hit over the head over the last five years. That that would be my only worry about Democrats in 2022 is we know historically Republicans always show up and Democrats kind of need a reason to show up. And when they do, we outnumber them. But they don't necessarily show up on the off off the off year, so it's gonna. That's my big worry. Well, hopefully there'll be something. Hopefully there'll be a muscle memory and maybe some trigger words or triggering. Where I mean, the fact that they're not really engaged right now is probably not a problem. But as long as give them another year off, right? And maybe by Memorial Day of twenty two, start cranking <laughs> it up and just say. <laughs> You know, get 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 them on board. You know that that might be the option is is to go ahead and 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 get their get get their motors running. Um, you have to be. We do have to do a good job of getting people to care. Um, I do think one advantage that we have though, is I think that, and this might be one of the benefits of social media. Um, we will have the means by which to remind people how bad things were. And we, we will, there'll be a lot of folks out there who are, will be in a position to remind us. I do think that 22 could be a turning point in the right direction. We've got to do the right things. We've got to figure out what we need to do to get the, the folks, the, the, um, the non-reliable voters, right? Um, I mean, what's really weird, even locally... Turnout in a presidential year is the highest, right? Um, then you got the turnout in a, a midterm, but then even more so is if you look, whether it's the city of Chicago or the suburbs, the city of Chicago every four years, the suburbs every two years, um, if you look at how much drops off even from a, a low turnout midterm to the municipal elections, it's amazing. And what's funny is people don't vote in those and... You know when people the the your bread and butter issues your 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 property taxes your schools all the stuff that really affects our quality of life that's stuff that's voted on in at least in Illinois politics you know in 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 the in the spring of the odd number of years right um, so but I'm hoping that people overall just show up and if and 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 hopefully people's the new district hopefully the redistrict will also motivate some folks, right? They'll say, wow, it's a new district I live in. And, you know, people will put in some efforts. And, you know, obviously I've got a little bit of insight of what's going on in, in this state, but, you know, we're going to try to do what we can to engage voters that don't normally come out in, in a midterm and get them really excited. I hope that's what Democrats throughout the country do. Yeah, I want to say two things. I know you were saying that maybe come Memorial Day 2022, we start hitting people over the head. But that's what the Republicans are so good at, right? And 
I am sure that come Memorial Day 2022, there will be a caravan that's coming from Venezuela that's going to steal and kill everybody in the country. That's what Republicans do, and they do it well. And I don't think Democrats have to do that. I just think Democrats have to say, hey, you know that child tax credit that you love so much? It's gone. If, if you don't come out and vote, it's gone. You, don't, you love those relief checks? Gone. You know, and we have to just do stuff like that. And we they listened to us in 2020, 2000 in the runoffs. And I just hope we could do more of that. The second thing I want to say about your whole idea of the non-reliable voters, I think some of it's like, if you look at the voter turnout in like Arizona and Denver, and I use those two, uh, Colorado specifically, sorry. I use those two um, states specifically because the mail-in vote is so aggressive from the, go- from the local government to say everybody's getting a ballot. You don't got to worry about what, where your polling place is, what time, blah, blah, blah. You don't got to worry about work. We're sending you your ballot. I bet you that even in a liberal place like Chicago, they'll send me my ballot, but I have to ask for it first. And I just wonder if long-term, that's what the Republicans are trying to stop because they know long-term, if we just send ballots out, then more people are going to vote. And the more people that are going to vote is not good for, for the right. So maybe that's something that we could look at is trying to get some of these laws passed that we could get the mail-in vote to you without you asking for it. And you're going to vote just because it's in front of your face. I wonder if we could, you know, go back to 2010, right? Um, You know, 2008, Obama won. 2009, he passed. uh, The Affordable Care Act. 2010, the Republicans took back the House. What would things have looked like if the Democrats had held on to the House in 2010? And is there a way... To, because I think even you know, I think in these first two years of the of the Biden administration, he's gonna have a pretty kick-ass first two years. Will there be some things where we can tell that story, saying you want this to continue? And also, um, Chris Rock said something when yes, and I'm gonna go to comedians. Chris Rock said something when Obama was elected. He said that some of the racism that coming out of Obama was like the last gasps of the racist. And I think that continued with Trump. Uh, but I also wonder if it's the last gasp for Republicans. Well, and, you know, I'm not necessarily drawing a distinction between the two. But the reality is, is if, if the Democrats are able to put together uh, and hold on to their majorities, might that be the sea change that really turns things around? Because what the Republicans are able to do is when the Democrats get a victory, they're able to after the victory, after they've lost, they make sure that we don't re- we, we don't repeat the, the, that we won't have a good four years. Even if even if the president power gets elected, we're going to take the house back. We're going to take the Senate back. I think the Republicans are scared that if the Democrats ever get a run, and eight years of a president is a run, but what if that run included the president winning over and over again, but victories? with a Democratic majority for four to eight to 12 years, I, I would assume that uh, even if Kamala were to come in, that you wouldn't have 12, you know, 12 years of Democratic majorities. But let's just say four to six years of Democratic majorities with a Democratic administration, um, that may change the game forever. Because I think the Republicans' biggest advantage is they're able to take our victories and make them short-lived. If we're yeah. able to take a victory and, I mean, what are your thoughts? What would you see if, if, if the Democrats held on and in, in, in the midterm? What do, you, what do you think it does to the Republican agenda as it relates to trying to derail Democrats? Well, there, there is no Republican agenda at all. That's the point, right? Their agenda is just to stop the Democrats. We saw Mitch McConnell openly admit that this week. Look, you're talking to a guy, and I, I'm going to say a name that, is like Voldemort. It's, you're not supposed to say this name anymore, but you're talking to the guy who thought Barack was going to win, then Hillary was going to win, then a guy named John Edwards was going to win after. And John Edwards, obviously, we can't talk about no more, but he was, if people go back to 2004, 2005, 2006, was a big star in the Democratic Party. Um, I thought that was going to be easy. And we saw Obama win handedly in 08 and 2012, Hillary should have really won in 2016. It would have been, it's important. Obama knew, Obama knew the key to his legacy was Hillary winning because she could just on go what he was wanted to do, push it even further. And 
he, basically Trump spent four years undoing everything Barack did, and now Biden has to spend the first two years redoing everything what Barack did. So I, I totally agree with your assessment. It's going to take a run here, but the part of the problem is our friend in West Virginia and our friends in Arizona, like part of the problem is that, is that we, we need more than 50. We need more than a simple majority. We need to push some of these numbers, get out ahead and start running the ball a little bit. So um, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope 2022 is as good as we hope. I just worry though, that if they, if GOP can make it tighter in 2022 with the point where we can't get stuff done, then they spend two years saying, look, Biden's not doing anything because we're stopping him. And then 2024 becomes tricky. So, but I also well, think they're the so in trouble that, that they have to win 2022 or it's really bad for them. But, but I, I go back though, just real quick. What, what would you have, what do you think? I know hindsight's 2020, but had the Democrats held on in 2010, would, would, I mean, Obama got the presidential run. But would that have also yeah. resulted? And, and and here's a question: If the Democrats win in 2010 and hold on, is it making it much easier for Hillary to become president? Does Hillary become president if if the Democrats had held on in 2010? I, I think I think I would say yes. But here's the reason: because I think that's how Barack feels, and I think Barack knows a little more than I do. Um, I think if you ask, I have his book somewhere on my mantle, but. If you ask President Obama the the biggest thing he looks back on and regrets, and he's gonna probably tell you 2010. And because because he he wanted to do so much, he he used so much political capital to pass Affordable Care Act that he needed more and he lost it in 2010. Uh, granted, he's still can you believe that in 2008 by, by that point the, the country had radicalized on the right. John, you know more than I do, but I was look. I was all my Steve Kornacki, John John King stuff, and I was looking at these maps. In two thousand eight, not only was Florida blue, but Ohio was blue and Indiana was blue. Dude, I just so you know, I was spending every weekend knocking doors in Valparaiso. I I had there was a crew of us, and just so you know, it was because the Chicago and Illinois Democrats were so hungry, and we knew we were going to win our state. The caravans that went to Northwest Indiana, I'm not sure how Barack did in, in, in Indianapolis, but Northwest Northwest Indiana may have put Barack over the top because I'd end up in Valparaiso, and I'd be going with just two or three other people. We'd get there, and there'd be at least 50 other people that I knew, and we were all we were just every weekend. So, But, but that being yeah, so said... I guess, yeah, go ahead. No, that being said... Uh, yeah, that was a that was I mean Ohio, and I remember we were in Grant Park, and when they called Ohio, Grant Park just lost its mind. They're like, it's it's done, it's it's it's. Yeah, so I guess my my overall point is to think of where we were just those that short amount of years ago. I can't I can't even picture Florida blue, let alone Ohio and Indiana blue at the same time. So my overall point is just this idea that if we kept going in two thousand ten. I wonder how that might change, but the country, the the Republicans had done such a good job radicalizing their base that, who knows? But um, we'll see. Yeah, the, the main thing before we move on to the next subject is, I think their base is even more radicalized. But the but with with their radicalizing of their base, though, they're also shrinking the base, and that's where the problem is. Right? Is radicalized but shrink, and that's and that's going to be. You know, that's why we need a big turnout in 2022. If there's a big turnout in 2022, I feel really good. If it's a small turnout, then that's problematic because their base is going to be more energized to protect their seats. But if we turn out, if we turn out huge, you know, it, it's crazy. But um, one of the things, and this won't impact the House as it relates to the, the balance of the House, we just need to have it done, is in um, Ohio 11, um Marsha Fudge, the congresswoman from the Cleveland area, is now the uh, Secretary of Health and Human uh, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, and there's two people running to replace her in a special election. Now, just so you know, uh, the way it works is there's usually I'm not sure which each state laws, but in Illinois, and I'm not sure if Ohio's laws are the same. Is you have a primary and then you have a general election, but in Ohio, whether it's just a primary and a general election or just a uh, what they call a guerrilla primary, which is where everybody runs regardless of, you know, party. Um, 
it's going to stay in the as a Democratic seat that safe. And it's a showdown between Nina Turner and a young woman by the name of Chantel uh, Brown. And just so you know, last night I sent ten dollars to Chantel Brown. Uh, I, I I I'm Team Chantel, but um. They got into a little bit bad. As you know, um, Nina is a hardcore Bernie Sanders, our revolution person who has spent the better part of the last, uh, now five years, uh, basically just attacking the Democratic establishment. And um, so Chantel Brown decided in a, in a commercial to uh, draw attention to uh, Nina Turner's record. And Nina's been uh, acting like someone fouled her with a flagrant file and She's trying to raise money, and Chantel is swinging back. At what's your take? I know, I know, you're. I'm reading you in a little bit on this, but uh, watching from afar, I know I shared the spots with you. What, what's your take on what's going on in in Ohio? You know, I, I was just thinking about when you we were talking. My only take would be: it's interesting to see. Um, you know, this is a famous saying, but there's a difference between um, campaigning and, and governing, right? And it's interesting to see in this political climate that when you start to choose sides and we see this a lot with the, with the Bernie side of people is that when you start to choose sides, how does that affect you later on? Because you have to say things in the moment that affect you later. And that's what Nina Turner is finding out is, and that's what Bernie Sanders found out the hard way when he spent his entire career railing against Democrats and then wanting to then be the democratic nominee for president in 2016, people didn't for, didn't, forget that and people held that against them and we saw even in the new york primary i don't know if you remember this hillary versus bernie in the new york primary bernie was gonna upset her blah 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 and it just turned out that a lot of people didn't vote because they didn't want to tag themselves as democrats they were independents and they wanted to stay independents and so they didn't want to switch their party just to vote for bernie so i guess my only take here sorry to go off track my only take here is it's interesting to see that a lot of these political upcomers who have these hard right or not hard right, this hard fought revolutionary stances in the moment, never Biden, never Barack, all these stances, then now when you start to want to be part of the party, it, it becomes a little difficult. So my, it's just interesting to see that from afar. Well, here's where I think it's interesting. And it's one of the things that you and I talk about offline about is, um, one of the worst parts about the internet and us being more interconnected is we really, you and I have no idea, although I have some friends I need to call that live there, you and I have no idea what the reality is on the ground in Ohio. Now, Nina Turner is a very popular national figure, especially in the uh, Bernie Sanders, our revolution, maybe even DSA circles. That does not necessarily mean that she's beloved at home. And if Chantel Brown wins, it may be reported in national press as some type of upset because no one knew who Chantel Brown was outside of Cleveland. But the reality is, is that you have, this is all politics are local. And the, 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 the people who vote in this race care about things that the people who are on Twitter and Facebook and social media, Instagram, they care about a whole different set of things. So it'll be very fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously pulling for Chantel Brown. Um, I've, I noticed that more local elected officials, people who have to deal with that district and, and that district have come out for Chantel Brown. So, you know, if Chantel wins, um, I hope it's not really painted as, as an upset because based upon what I'm seeing, Chantel seems like she has, uh, at least with, um, you know, well-known Democrats, seems like she has better stakeholder support in, in, in her home, in her home state, in her home district. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I can speak to that is that when I was following, like in 2020, when I was following like Maggie Hager, who was the, the, the woman running against Mitch McConnell? MJ Hager. No, that was Texas. Oh, oh, it was Amy McGrath. Amy McGrath. Yeah, Amy McGrath. You know, it's interesting. She got so much national love that that race almost feels like you could pull it off. And then she gets kind of clobbered in the actual polls. But um, it's interesting that you brought that up, right? Where Nina Turner might be known more nationally and on the public level. But locally, 
you know, people might just feel a different way. So it's going to be interesting. Do you know when that race is? I think it's June, maybe. I've got to, here's something that I found out and I've got to learn more about. You know that the balance of Congress is based upon the number of people that are actually able to serve. So a full Congress, 218 is the the limit, but the fewer people, then the margins change. Um, I found out recently, well, I knew it it, it was in the news, um, a congressperson from Florida by the name of Elsie Hastings, African-American, Democrat in 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 a deep blue seat, died recently. And it goes to special election. And you know that in every state, the person who calls a special election is the governor, and they pick the date. And in an effort to screw over the Democrats and to keep them from filling that seat because they know it's going to be a Democratic seat, DeSantis has has called for the special election to be in January. So what he's doing, and I think that they need to do something with this constitutionally, he is prohibiting, because he knows, you and I both know, if that was a red seat... Yeah, that 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 they'd have the special election next week before the funeral happened. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, when you ask when this, that's something, you know, with the close margins, I, I, you know, the special elections and the timing of special elections, because what people die, people take new jobs, they resign. There's all sorts of things that could lead to the, a vacancy. And yeah. as close as they are, man, special election timing and and the strategy, because you and I can't, there's no way DeSantis just said, oh, well, you know, statute says or president says, that's over six months away. That's what, seven months? Yeah. Right? If it's January of 22? Yeah, seven dude, months. Dude, he's literally trying to deny the Democrats a vote. Yeah, that's exactly what he's done. So he's not even hiding that, I don't think, at some point. I mean, it's the, these the Republicans are crazy. So uh, one of the things that came out this weekend uh, was a bunch of Washington Post report, reporters found out that the uh, Trump Justice Department, under the direction of Bill Barr, had been uh, keeping tabs on their phone records. Um, it's it's controversial. Uh, it's it's this is bad, but you know. The press sometimes gets so bent out of shape on the fact that Jen Psaki wasn't nice to them. I wonder if they'll really even be mad at the right people for this. No, they're not going to hold the right people accountable. This is, just to be clear, this is fascism. This isn't anything else. Uh, We have to start saying this. The Republican Party are a bunch of fascists, autocratic who want power over democracy. We just have to start calling it out. The media is never going to do it. They're just mad Biden won't take a presser. They're mad, blah, blah, blah. They're mad at social distancing. They're just mad at the wrong things. Look, I'm not the guy who's going to be like, the media, man, we have to do something about it. But I'm on Twitter, and what they care about now compared to what they cared about under Trump is just flabbergasting. And Trump, it was like, remember that, um, who was that woman who had a press conference and said, I'm rooting for this person in a special election or whatever it was. And they've like cried about it. Was the Fudge. It, 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 it was Marsha Fudge who, who said, said something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and they cried about the hatch act. Meanwhile, the Republican convention was at the white house. You know what I mean? And, and so and the media did not even care to ask about it. So, and, and, and then he's hawking like Goya beans from the Resolute desk and stuff like that. What they care about now compared to what they cared about when Trump was president is flabbergasting. But to go to your point, um, I'm just so disappointed. I'm just honestly so disappointed. I don't even have words anymore. Well, you know, one of the things before we go is um, those of us in social media got another break and at Facebook upheld the suspension of Trump. And one of the things I tweeted about that I thought was, and it's kind of sad, it goes back to the conversations you and I were having in January when you had even broached before we got there the subject that Trump might get banned from Twitter. We actually had a president who 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 got suspended from social media. For just, there's certain things, okay, you're in your 30s, I'm in my 50s, Aren't there certain things that you just sort of feel like you just can't do anymore because 
you're a grown-ass man, and as a grown-ass man, there's certain behavior that's acceptable or not acceptable. And I think getting suspended from Twitter is something that, like, an 18-year-old who's really passionate about politics, maybe even going into your 30s, might do. But a 70-year-old former president getting suspended from Twitter, that's just a poor reflection on him and the people who support him. I mean, and, and, you know, the thing I was saying is a few months after they were out of office, whether it was Bush or Obama or Clinton or even Carter, they weren't sweating this. And, of course, there was no, their social media wasn't as big, but and in Carter's case, it was non-existent. But they weren't sweating just little petty stuff like that. Or if they were, they were they were doing it behind closed doors for sure. Yeah. Um, and just to, just to correct you, he wasn't the former president. He was the president when he got banned from Twitter. So it makes it even worse. Um, but I would like to add a little nuance here. I think we have to start. By the way, Facebook upheld it for six months, but they really booted it down the road. They were supposed to make a decision last week whether to permanently ban him or let him back, and they just said, we'll decide later. So there, there's still a decision to be made here. But we have to start shaping the conversation. There is a big push now from conservatives to say that we're getting banned for being conservative, and that's not what what happened, right? He got banned for inciting an insurrection, calling for violence on Twitter. He a- essentially asked them to hang Mike Pence on Twitter. He did it very publicly. So we have to start shaping that conversation. We also have to start calling out Josh Hawley for going on TV, promoting his Twitter that promotes his book that's on Amazon. And he's crying about being... I saw that. He's crying about being um, censored by the big media. So we just have to start calling this up for what it is. It's just bullshit. And look, by the way, one last thing, John. Sorry, I'm going on a mini rant here. Twitter and Facebook is not a constitutional right. right. What's a constitutional right is free speech and the right to vote and due process and blah, blah, blah. Facebook is a private company. It's the equivalent of you going into an Applebee's and th- throwing shit. And they're like, you have to leave. And they're like, no, this is my constitutional right. I'm here for two for 20 at Applebee's. That's the equivalent <laughs> of what this is. Facebook is just a private company. Twitter is a private company. There's no constitutional right here. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. Well, I, I do not disagree. But uh, oof, it's, it's, oh boy. On that note, this is John signing off. <laughs> this is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next week.